everyone, and welcome to the fourth episode of Shipping Up to Boston Podcast. My name is Kathy, and this is the episode, She Works Hard for the Money. Episode 4, Season 1. It was written by Dave Kaplan and directed by Arvin Brown. <clears throat> Arvin Brown has done a lot of stuff, mostly like CBS stuff, mostly NCIS. Uh, But the writer, Dave Kaplan, actually um, wrote this episode, the next episode. He was the consulting producer for almost all of season one. And he created the Connors and he wrote for the Muppets. So it's kind of a mixed bag here. Um, I'm iffy on this episode. I don't hate it. I don't like it. I don't know. I feel like... It didn't quite age very well. Um, It speaks kind of negatively about sex workers. And I don't really like that. Um, I believe sex work is real work and everyone should be safe. And I feel like maybe this language that they used was a little harsh at times. Uh, But in the end, it's probably a very realistic situation. Um, So let's start. Um, the episode opens up with a random girl in a jumpsuit that is a very 2010 walking in like a camp on a campus with a very old cell phone. It's like a brick phone. I remember those brick phones lovingly and, uh, yeah, they were pretty indestructible. Um, so it cuts to brick where... A bunch of kids just kind of walk into, you know, the police department. And they're all on their phones. They're like Nokia flip phones. No cameras or anything. <laughs> like all of them are like click, click texting. I have memories of using the like alphanumeric texting. Honestly, I probably could still be really good at it. I, I haven't tried it in a long time, but I feel like that's one of those skills that just gets burned into your head and you never unlearn it. Um, so they're, the kids are super uninterested. They all wanted to go to a magazine thing, but it was fall. It's career day. So they're all stuck at, you know, Boston Homicide. And uh, Jane shows them the cast of a shoe print that they had. And the kids are like, ooh, did someone die? Um, which I feel like is pretty accurate. Kids love gross stuff. Kids are morbid. Um, you hear a bunch of sirens and it turns out it's their shot alert, which I don't think we ever see again, but is really cool. Like it can like using, I don't know, speakers figure out where a shot came from. I don't know. Pretty neat. Uh, it turns out I was fired at BCU, Moore's alma mater, um, which is Boston Cambridge University. Um, so... I feel like this doesn't translate well because in this day and age, we unfortunately have a lot of stories about active shooters on campus and just like people in colleges with guns. Like one just happened today. It's really sad. It's a huge problem. Um, I know that's not what these, this episode was gearing towards, But, you know, I just had to mention it, that it didn't quite age very well, but, you know, that's okay. Um, So, anyway, 
Jane gets a call from her mom saying that her dad left her on the side of the road and just kind of ditched her. And when Jane picks her up, she's like, you know, he probably has an excuse or something. And then Angela is like, well, you're always on your dad's side. And I'm like, okay. Although I feel at this point I would be on her dad's side too, just because Angela is that annoying. Um, so they end up having to go to the crime scene instead, like getting diverted to the crime scene. And Angela's like, I'll never, I won't embarrass you. And then Jane says, you know, for the past 30 years, I've proved otherwise, which gives us the, like an age point that Jane is 30 years old. I'm not sure if they mention age in the rest of the series. I don't really remember, but it is nice to give us like an accurate example of how old she is. And it makes me feel terrible because I am 31 and I am not a cop. I am sitting on my couch with my cats talking about a TV show <laughs> from 2010. <laughs> I am not nearly as accomplished. Um, and Jane is kind of talking through some feelings she has about not going to BCU and not going to college and going to junior college. Um, when they get to the crime scene, there's this, like, I don't know if he's a campus cop or what, just, like, standing on her, this dead girl's book bag, just, like, standing there, like, no big deal. And Jane is like, what are you doing? You know, there's a crime scene right there, and you are definitely standing on it. And he's just like, woo, 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 woo. So she throws her keys at him to go get tape out of her trunk and then says to leave the woman in the car alone and then the dude thinks that she's in the trunk which honestly I would put Angela in a trunk I know fighting words um and then so Frost is kind of like the exposition machine this entire episode I don't know if they're setting him up to be like an like an affluent young student who's like fresh out of college um or just someone who is supposed to be like very smart, very well read, because he's like kind of like explaining things to Jane about like college that I feel like she would already know even if she didn't go. But it's obvious that Jane's a little bit offended by it, like kind of hurt that you know they have to tell her these things and she just doesn't already know, just rubbing in the fact that she already feels inferior for not having gone to school. Um. And then, so, they're looking at the body. They find a phone and a piece of plastic. And they're like, let's check her text messages. Ha, ha, ha. If that had happened now, they'd have been like, let's check her Snapchat. Like, what are her DMs on Twitter say? No one texts. I mean, I do, but it's fine. Um, some girl comes, like, screeching in. Turns out to be the best friend. They kind of do a mini interview. And she's like, she's never a boyfriend. No one, you know, wants to hurt this girl. Her acting is not the greatest. But, you know, it's okay. That might have been on purpose. Um, so she's like, you know, she had a boyfriend. But they're not dating anymore. No one wanted to kill her. She was really nice. So they go to the girls, the victim's dorm room. And my first impression was that no one makes their bed like that, especially anybody in college. If you are in college, your last thought is what your bed looks like in your own dorm room, but that's fine. Um, the RA comes in, that's resident advisor, you know, thanks Frost for more exposition, telling us things that we probably already know, but over-explaining. Jane's also irritated because he had to explain that to her, even though I'm pretty sure she could have figured out what that meant. Uh, they realized that the victim liked soccer, that she was 
really into soccer. It was all over her board and that she was an athlete. Um, they, they meet her father and how her father got there so fast. I'm not sure. I, the timeline might've been weird. It literally seems like she got shot and then 20 minutes later, her dad showed up, but you know, that's fine. It's just TV. Um, typical story, like dude sent it, wanted to send his daughter to college. Her mom died. He didn't have any money. She got a full ride scholarship playing soccer at the school and he was worried about how he couldn't afford to send her. And if I'm not, it maybe I heard it wrong, but if she's got a full ride scholarship there, I'm not sure why he would be worried about how to afford to send her, but that's fine. I'm sure there's extra costs. Um, my first impression of this is that he is awfully calm. I know that, um, I mean, I guess I can spoil the ending. He's not like the killer or anything, but he's got some man tears. They're pretty convincing. But other than that, he seems very calm. Like, I don't know. I just don't think that's an appropriate reaction, but we're all different. Um, so we cut to the morgue and Mora and Jane are having some playful banter about the millimeter of the bullet in the victim. Um, Jane says she loves to guess, and Mora, that's probably her biggest pet peeve is people guessing. Uh, they talk about school and about how Mora loved it at BCU, um, except protein biochemistry, which I'm not, I know this is really early in the series, and so she's not quite a fully-fledged character yet, but they made her out in the first couple episodes to be someone who is just terrified of people and just not comfortable anywhere where there are people. And it just, it seems like for this episode, she's really into school and her schooling experience um, and her alma mater. And it just, it, like, fraternities and, like, I don't know. It just seems a little out of character but I don't know if you can say that on like the fourth episode of the series I might just be saying that as someone who's seen the whole show so perhaps this is in your character I just am an asshole <laughs> um they find a hair on the body and Jane talks about how she was she really loved soccer the victim loved soccer and then Mora finds out that one of her ligaments was torn or ruptured sorry and she was not actually playing soccer. And they go back and forth about the sports they played. Maura said she did ballet and fencing. And then Jane says those aren't sports. Which I believe they are. Because have you seen ballerinas? They are solid. They walk on air. And fencing. I don't know much about fencing. But it seems like a lot of jumping around on your feet. So that probably takes some skill too. Uh, Jane admits she played field hockey. And she was an attacker. And Maura says I'm sure you were aggressive. And uh, Jane was like, it's a position. And I'm like, yes, it's a position, but you are also just generally an attacker. Um, so you cut to the school, like in the gym, where Frost was watching soccer footage of the victim play. Um, the coach was talking about how much they loved her, how much she was important to them, and how good she was. And then it broke her heart that she had to be cut from the team. Uh, because of her injury and that it wasn't a sprained ankle like everyone thought it was it was a ruptured tendon now 
another thing I, I know it seems like I'm picking this episode apart, but they would have like athletic trainers for division one sports that would be able to tell you whether or not like something was a sprain or something was a ruptured tendon. Like those are two very different things, but I understand why they needed it for the point of the story. Um, so they, the coach tells her, you know, she was sad to have to cut her. And then Jane was like, she wasn't playing soccer. And coach was like, my hands were tied. Typical college politics, you feel. Um, so of course they go back to the, the police station and Corsack hands over a folder that says that the victim actually paid her own tuition in cash and one lump sum. And then it's $57,000. I don't know about y'all, but I don't think I'll ever see $57,000 in one place in my entire life. Like, where I'm from, that's like a low-end house. So, yeah, that's a lot of money. Um, Frost asks Corsac if he went to college, and Corsac said no, but he did watch a lot of Animal House, which was really funny because Bruce was actually the main character in Animal House. I'm wondering if that's, like, a reference to himself. Um, But I'm starting to see the dynamic where they're separating the people who were, quote-unquote, higher or upper middle class and the people who came from the lower middle class or, like, the certain neighborhoods because Frost has been to college and Mora has been to college and then Jane has not and neither has Corsac and they kind of are the ones that were up and coming and they're from the streets and they worked really hard to get where they're at. Not that the other two did not, but you're starting to see like a, like a bigger bond there and kind of like a upper middle, lower class, like division line. Um, so the texting language that they use, I have never seen in my life. Nobody uses those, like, abbreviations. I have never seen anyone say, too good to be true. Like, I just, you can't, that's not how that works. <laughs> no one texts that way, unless it's your grandma on your Facebook wall on accident. Alright, so in the interview room, they're interviewing the girl's best friend. She's super sketchy. I know you, you realize now that she's hiding something. And didn't want to tell anybody because it would get her in trouble as well. But she is super sketch. Uh, they find out that the girl's boyfriend is named Bee Bear. Which, if anyone ever called me, I would immediately break up with them. Um, the best friend tells everyone that she didn't want... That the victim didn't want her dad to know she got cut from the team. And that she was really depressed that she couldn't play soccer. Which, like, if you're going to school for that and that's everything you do to get injured and not be able to do it anymore is heartbreaking. You actually see a lot of it in the news where, like, an athlete has a full-ride scholarship to a school if they play college basketball and then they get hurt and then they drop out of school. And it's, it's really sad. It happens quite a bit. Um, so they go to a frat party. Not really a frat party. It's just like uh, everybody's like done with finals. Everyone's out on the lawn. Um, once again, Frost is explaining things to Jane that she could probably figure out on her own. Um, they're talking about ABC parties, which I don't know if those are even really a thing or if it's just something made up on television. 
that everyone thinks they do? I don't know. Um, so they find the boyfriend and they take him back to the interview room. And he's like, I'm not some gangbanger. I'm pre-law. Yeah, okay. Okay, Brock Turner. <laughs> That's such a stupid thing to say. I'm sorry. I hate it. I'm not some gangbanger. I'm pre-law. Like, somehow being pre-law makes it, like, completely okay for you to do anything. Or that you can't, you can't do anything wrong because you're in pre-law. Like, that doesn't, that's not how that works. Um, Jane is super full of, he just, she's so sick of this guy's shit. Like, so sick of it. <laughs> you can tell. Her eyes are rolling way back into her skull to the point where she can probably see behind herself. Um, but the interview was kind of just like them trying to pin the murder on this boyfriend and the boyfriend being like, what the, no, that's not me. I didn't do it. I want a lawyer. And then Jane gets mad and just was like, took him long enough. Um, so then you cut to the morgue and Jane is talking to Mora and Jane is really hungry and she's trying to eat a sandwich and she keeps asking what fridge the sandwich came from. Is it the dead people fridge? Which I think, honestly, I think that is so funny. Um, it's something that I remembered even after not seeing the series for so long. I just thought it was hilarious. Um, and then I said, for someone who is really scared of people and things more, sure knows a lot about ABC parties and different like ways that college like organizations work. And I know that it's not out of the realm of possibility that Maura was in one. But... Like, I just don't think it's something she would have done. Um, so. More goes on about, like, what, like, sorority she was in, or just, like, this little banter, I guess. Um, and then Jane also expresses, once again, her sadness about not going to school and how she thinks she missed out on stuff. Because she looked in the library and was super overwhelmed and just kind of, like, down on herself for not going. And Mora says an iconic line, you know more about human beings than anyone I know. And Jane says, bad human beings. And then Mora says, we're all a mix of good and bad. And I feel like that's really smart. I really like that sentence. Um, it reminds me of all the bad Mora fan fiction I read way back when, where Mora ended up being evil or was, like, some sort of like homicidal maniac but also like a medical examiner and honestly ugh, i miss all those i'm probably gonna go look them up and if i find any good ones i'll tweet it out um so mora and jane go out and find angela stranded in front of a really crappy car and he, i just roll my eyes because there is no way this woman could be that dumb but Mora is flexing with her car knowledge, and Angela admits she traded the car in to get back at Frank Rizzoli, who, I'm sorry, I just don't like him much either. I know he barely ever shows up, but I just don't like him. I really don't like Angela either, but I think I like Angela more, like, in the later seasons, because her character kind of cools down a little bit. But Angela in the first season, oh my gosh, she's insufferable. But she's so relatable. Everyone has a mom like that. Well, not everyone. But, you know, a lot of moms are this way. We'll put it that way. You could have a dad that way, too. 
Um, so Angela convinces Jane to go back to the car dealership and see if she can trade that car back in. Um, but then Frost runs in and said he found out the key, that girl's key that they found in her stuff was to a high-end gym. And he opened up her locker and she had condoms, lube, and a fuzzy handcuff. Which, just one. Which means, obviously, obviously, that she was the utmost of kinkiest people. One handcuff, some lube, and a condom. Yep. But I feel like for TNT, that's pretty edgy. So, um, so they go back out and they're going to go try to find out, you know, where this girl was at, what she was doing, trying to find a pimp and Frost says he wants to drive this car. Um, and then they play the most generic rap music and it is so funny because I don't know why I think it is so hilarious because it's TNT and the song I looked it up is called Ladies Love Dat by Willow the Wiz. And I will never look it up again. Um, they're sitting in the car and then Rondo comes up. And Rondo is so cringy because he is just such a shallow, stereotypical character. But oh my god, I love him so much. <laughs> I'm probably reading way too much into this, but I love Rondo. I know he comes back once in a while. I don't remember whatever happens to him, but he needs a spinoff. We need the Rondo show. I'm going to petition this now. Um... So Jane's like, oh, hey, that's one of my witnesses I use sometimes. And it's like this dude that looks like Kevin Federline. And, like, he's just super cringy and it's very stereotypical. And I don't think anyone ever talks like that. But he definitely says phrases such as, Mama's got some gangsta, bitches be trippin', and the whole damn world has gone crazy, but hoes still need to keep schedule. Like, okay, those are fine, I guess. So then we cut to a car lot, and Jane pulls the car back in with Angela, and she starts threatening the car dealership man with some sort of bond documents, and she flashes her badge, and the used car salesman just kind of knows what's up. And he uh, definitely just agrees to take the car back. And then Jane adds, a new alternator and floor mats. Okay. Um, so when Jane's done harassing the car salesman, Angela says, I didn't think you'd talk to anyone like that but me. Which is really sad, but also really funny. <laughs> Um, so then we cut to the dirty robber, and Jane walks up to Mora from behind and does the whole, like, tapping the opposite shoulder, and of course, Mora falls for it. Um, she's eating some bar peanuts, and then Jane makes a joke about, you know, bacteria, and Mora admits that she had them tested, she had a sample run tested, and they have to fall within a certain amount of bacteria. Um, and then Jane just says, it must be very complicated to be you, to which Mora responds, you have no idea. And then they just stare at each other. And honestly, I needed that in this episode. I needed them to just look at each other for a minute. And the dirty robbers smiling with pretty hair and like glistening eyeballs. And honestly, ugh, my heart has been restored. Um, so then they make some weird joke about how the, the hair they found on the body belonged to a toupee. And then Mora just asks if maybe he took it off during. And then I died. 
a little on the inside because I never needed that image in my head ever. Uh, and can we also talk about how Mora's jacket is like, it, it's a certain pattern, but it kind of looks like chainmail. And now I really need Mora to dress up in chainmail. And like even for Halloween or even not for Halloween, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I really need that in my life. And then, uh, Jane makes an offhand comment about how she was, like, she could have done anything except for, quote-unquote, turning tricks to pay, you know, for college. Like, just pretty much, like, shaming the victim for sex work, which is not really okay. Um, she goes off about how some people flip burgers for a to earn money for school and then Mora is spilling some tea about the minimum wage because she says that there's not enough hours in a year even if she works 24 hours a day to pay off tuition and you know what Mora you are right uh, and then she says that they found a, the piece of plastic was part to a computer and that they should go to the campus computer store to check and see if someone had the victim's computer and I, I have never been to a school that had a campus computer store, so I don't know if that's a thing, but that's really cool. So anyway, they end up going to the computer uh, store on campus and trying to get all the records for laptops that had been turned in. And they see the officer from before at school who was trampling on evidence and just not very bright. And he throws something very obviously in the garbage and then takes off. And then about five seconds later, they catch him. And then they bring him back to the station. And he really just stole the laptop from the dead girl. Like, really? She's already dead. You gotta steal her laptop, too? Sir. Have some sort of professionalism. I mean, like, she's not gonna miss it or anything. But for someone who had the words officer on his uniform, you would think for just one second that they might actually need that computer. And that that's just... That's just not the smartest thing to do. So, um, Jane goes after him, ripping him a new one about how he's never, he's going to miss his bed and just yelling at him. And I'm just like, get him, Jane, get him. Also, Angie Harmon is very strong. I know she's also very tall and very limber and kind of gangly, but oh my God, something about Angie Harmon yelling at men with a blazer on just really just gave me three points like three gay points maybe we'll get some more points but i might just max out like phew. so then when the computer gets fixed frost says i found her hooker book which i have never heard the word hooker book in my life but it also kind of sounds like a new social media platform like Backpage, but like hooker book i don't know i can't get over it uh, so they go into her calendar, and they're trying to decipher what her calendar says, which is kind of a trope. Uh, I've never kept a calendar in my entire life. I can keep it for the entire month of January, and then never again. I am so inconsistent. Even on my phone, I don't even have a calendar. I have pictures of things I need to do. So, like, the fact that this girl was so organized, like, if I ever got murdered, sorry. No one's going to know where I am, because I probably don't even know where I am. So they go and they find out the times of the day that she was gone. And they found out that it was one of the professors at the school she was sleeping with. Which is gross. They make some sort of comments, blah, 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 about it. And then they go back 
about how the guy sold his house and was renting. So they went to go find him. And oops, he shot himself. It's really graphic. It's two days old. And Frost is gagging again. And then Corsac makes a comment about if he's going to puke again. And he does not. So that's character development. Frost does not puke. Um, they said that he got shot. He has a Glock 26, which is the same gun that shot the victim. But then they find out it's a setup because there's no blood on the gun. And so he was shot and then it was like set up to make it look like a suicide. So after that, um, Jane and Mora decide that they're going to go to the vigil and to honor the victim and Mora says she took forensic psychology and Jane was like, it took two years of forensic psychology to find out that bad guys were messed up. Like, bleh. So everyone is crying at this vigil. Like, they play some song. Generic, sad song I've never heard before. Um, and so, I don't know. Uh, the song is actually called, oh, I just had it. You're Still Here by Faye Wolf, which, eh, generic song. Um, so, I said everyone is crying, cue hallelujah, because every time I, you see any sort of crowd of people crying on television, they usually play hallelujah, but they have to play the Rufus Wainwright version, not the Leonard Cohen version. I know, those are fighting words as well. Uh, so they did some research on the gun that they found in the office with the teacher, and it turns out that it's registered to the RA stepdad, and to be careful because he has three more guns. Um, and then, so Jane's like, oh God, I'm trying to let everyone know that it's that guy who has a gun and to be on the lookout. And so they try to corner him, but he ends up seeing what they're doing and he grabs the best friend and points a gun at her and takes her hostage um they all start charging and they start running around campus he ends up shooting the best friend like a through and through right to the chest like right on the shoulder area um and then as they're running mora stops and says i got her keep going and mora was like trying to like just do the basics for this girl on the ground jane and frost chase him the guy around and eventually he runs down some stairs and he tries to shoot Jane but Jane just whoop shoots him right in the middle right at center mass and uh I said Jane Rizzoli more like Annie Oakley one and done and then they like zoom in kind of on his very dead body like we we're supposed to believe he's not dead or something I don't know and then there's like some strange pop music happening with some weird editing where it flashes around everybody, like, in and out to what they're doing. I don't know. That part seemed really out of place. I don't know if that was the editor's fault or the director's fault. But that part just, I've, it's very inconsistent with the entire show. That doesn't happen. Um, anyway, so you, the next scene is the girl, the best friend, coming out of the hospital. Which, you know, you assume she's been in there a while because she did get shot. Uh, Jane walks up with flowers, asks her if she's okay, like starts walking her out of the hospital and is talking to her and the girl's like, you're not going to tell my dad, are you? And she's like, no. And then they start talking again and some just like small talk. 
and Jane's like, are you going to go back to school? And the girl's like, no, I can't pay. Like, well, then Jane hands her an envelope and says that there's some scholarship money left over for hardship cases. And the girl's like so excited because she's paid for till senior year. Um, and then like Jane gives her a cute little head kiss and is done. And then back at Jane's apartment, Jane is kind of grilling more about how it was to work on a live person. And she said it was pretty exhilarating. It's really cute. Moral looks amazing per usual. They need to put Sasha Alexander in fitness casual way more often because so good. Her hair looks so good in season one. Like so good. Not that it doesn't look good any other season, but Mora's hair in season one is just beautiful. Also, if I'm not mistaken, this is about the time that Sasha Alexander actually like got pregnant. And so I think from here on out is where they try to hide her being pregnant, but she's got a pretty small frame anyway. But I, yeah, I think this is right about it where she starts to either show or they start hiding her. Um, anyway, so, uh, they're eating Chinese food and they're just talking and Jane says she applied to BCU and Mora's like, oh, you know, it's kind of hard to get into, just assuming that she didn't make it in. But then Jane admits that she did get into BCU and Mora's kind of taken aback. She's like, why didn't you go? And Jane is like, well, like I wanted to be a cop. And then Mora is like, mm-mm, what's the real reason? And Jane said they didn't have the money. Her dad would have sent or spent everything he had to get her into that school and she couldn't live with that. She couldn't let him do that. And I feel like that's a pretty common problem for people is that either they make too much money for assistance or and they, they don't have the money or like it would just be all on their parents who cannot afford them, especially if they have more than one kid. Um so she admits or she asks Mora or Mora tells her like how is this girl going back to school and Jane says you know the university is giving her a full ride if we don't talk about what happened and Mora's like yeah that would not be good if they if anyone could find out um so they find out that the best friend's going back to school on the university's expense it's not actually hardship money for a scholarship but and then she asks if she's gonna tell the victim's dad what happened and she says, Jane says, no, all he needs to know is that his daughter loved him very much. Which, good, don't be a rat. That's good. You don't out people without their consent. And then Maura says, like, oh, Jane, that's really sweet. And then Jane is like, hand me the wine. And it pans out. And it's really cute. And I love that season one has them in Jane's apartment a lot. Mostly because I think building Maura's house and a set would be really expensive. <laughs> But Jane's apartment is adorable. I like when they end the episodes kind of on, like, with them two talking at their dirty robber or talking, like, in her apartment. It's really, like, cozy and romantic, and I think it's really cool. Um, I, uh, it's just cute, and it's like a, um, like a routine in every episode. Something I look forward to. Their little talks at the end of the episodes are usually, like, worth the entire episode, even if the episode is bad or not your favorite like the usually the last couple lines in are really adorable and make it worth it. Um, 